got a Bible, go to Psalms 23. Open your Bible to Psalms 23. I'm excited. Um, I, uh, I'm excited to be preaching over the next several weeks on a, on a bunch of different topics. And um, I feel like I haven't had a chance to preach as much as I'd like to in the last little bit. So I'm excited to next several weeks to really dive in. And today, I'm preaching a sermon. Today, we're going to have a baptism after the service. And then we're also going to ha- celebrate communion um, today. And those are called sacraments. Um, and that's basically a word of things that we repeat and we keep doing. Why do we do this communion thing? Why do we do this baptism thing? And it's things that we have continued to do. And so I want to kind of unpack a little bit. And the title of this message is, There's Power at the Table. Or maybe a better title is, There's Jesus at the Table. And so um, let's start at verse 1. If you can just put up Psalms 23 on the screen. And uh, let's just read this all together. All right? Psalms 23 and starting at verse 1, page 1,237. Uh, Let's just read this together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Not good? The verse that jumps out to me in this whole thing was this. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. All right, Jesus, we're here. God, our hearts are open. God, I, I just I so cry out today. May we not just hear a message from some guy talking, but we pray, Spirit of God, would you speak to us today? I pray for every heart to be open, every mind to receive. And God, I pray no distractions in this space. That lets just each one of us encounter you. And I pray that with all my heart. Amen. The power of communion is really shown in this psalm, Psalms 23. And in this, if I walk through it, Psalms 23, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. We have a a one that shepherds our soul, shepherds our heart, shepherds our life. And when we take into communion, we're inviting the shepherd to lead us. There is sheep in this psalm, and that's, guess what? That's you, and that's me. And sheep like to wander. Sheep have a hard time. Sheep see something shiny off in the distance and fall off the cliff. And the good shepherd goes after the sheep, picks them up, cleans them up, and takes them back. Aren't you glad that there's a shepherd that cares about you? Three of you. Good. Oh, man, you guys, it's, it's so true. He, I love it, verse 3, or verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He really does these things. He really does restore my heart and my soul. He brings life where there is no life. Encouragement where I'm distracted. And a lot of that in this space of communion, we come and God desires to bring his life for your life. 
his mind for your mind. That there is an exchange. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Not my righteousness, not your righteousness, his righteousness. If it's up to us, we go off into weird land. For his name's sake. And I like this verse a lot. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not going to fear any evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know, it's really common, actually, with folks on their deathbed to read this 23rd Psalm and also receive communion. And I remember sitting with Sandy. This is like eight years ago. Older lady. And she had just signed her advance directive. Anyone know what those are? It's basically saying, do not resuscitate me if I, pass, if I start to pass away. Let me go. She had just signed that. And then I walked into the room. And Sandy looked at me. And if you're in that moment, imagine you've just signed your advance directive. And she said this. She's like, I don't know if I'm okay. Like, just, I just wanted to touch base here. Like, I just signed my advance directive. I'm probably going to die in the next couple days. It's God and me. Are we good? That's kind of where she was at. And this thing bubbled up into me, and I know it wasn't me. It was totally the love of God. And I just immediately got hit with this love of God for Sandy. And I was just like, oh, Sandy, you are so loved. And she had put her faith and trust in Jesus, but she was about to walk through the curtain into the very shadow of death. And she just wanted to know, is everything okay? And God wanted to comfort her in that moment and in that space of communion that we're going to take on a little bit. There is a comfort even in death. He's with you. Even in the shadow of suffering, he's with you. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You know what's fun about that verse? Here's the context. There's a, it's kind of like there's this, God has this tent, and you're outside the tent, and your enemies are all around you, and you run into the tent, and he says, hey, don't worry about them. Sit down, take a load off, have a burger. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. God is so good to you that in the midst of all your enemies, and guess what? You do have an enemy. His name is the devil. He wants to kill you. He wants to steal from you, and he wants to destroy your life. And by the way, while he's doing it, he's going to blame it on everybody else and say they're the problem. Your struggle is not against people. Your struggle is against an invisible enemy who wants you to be frustrated and disconnected with everyone while he destroys your life and those around you. Don't mistake that your enemy is not people. Your enemy is the enemy of your soul. He wants, he's coming to kill, steal, and destroy. And God makes a table before us, and I would say it's a communion table, where he says, take a seat. I'm going to make the devil watch as I bless your life. He prepares a table in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. You know what that is? Healing. He heals your mind. He heals your body. There is healing in communion. There is healing as we partake of Christ. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. The context there is chase after me. It's like playing tag with goodness and mercy and saying, we're going to catch you all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is what it is to have Christ on the inside, the leader of your life, partaking of his body and his blood. He's the one that restores, heals, chases you with goodness and mercy, 
leads you through the shadow of death into his provision. He is there. And guess what Jesus said? Do this again and again because you're going to forget and you need to remember I'm for you. This table that's mentioned in the 23rd Psalm, it's the same one that Jesus talks about at the Last Supper. It's also the same table that God told the Israelites to go to when they were in Egypt in bondage. There was all these plagues that were coming against Egypt. And he said to the people of Israel, I want you to go into your house, take a lamb, kill a lamb, put the blood on the doorpost. How would you like to do that at your house? Your neighbors would be like, what are you doing with that dead lamb putting it over your doorpost? And, and I want you to put blood over the top and the sides. Go in and I want you to have a meal. You're going to have this lamb. You're going to have this bread. And you're going to have this wine. And you're going to have these bitter herbs. You're going to have this meal. And you're going to remember what I've done for you. How I set you free. How I delivered you. How I became the answer that you needed. Pharaoh kept resisting and resisting and resisting. And finally, God said, I'm going to bring one last plague so that Pharaoh will let my people go. And it's going to be the angel of death. How's that for scary? And every house that has blood over the doorposts is going to be spared. There's going to be a Passover. The angel of death is going to pass over. But those without the blood on the doorpost, the firstborn of each one will die. And so that night, it said there was great weeping all throughout Egypt because the firstborn and all these families died, 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 died. But all the homes that had blood on the doorposts, they were passed over. And while the death was coming through the land, they're sitting there eating this lamb, eating this bread, drinking this cup. And this whole thing, guys, was to point to that there was one going to come, Jesus, who when death comes to each one of us, his, the death that we would expect, he would, it would be passed over because the death would fall on him and we would, be set, we would be spared. This whole thing about a table is also in another space and I, I think it's really interesting. Psalm 78, 18 and 19, the people of Israel, they get freed from Egypt, they cross through the Red Sea, they're in the middle of the wilderness and they start complaining to God. Anybody ever complain to God? They're like, God, we're starving here. We don't have what we need. And it said this, they tested God in their hearts by demanding the food they craved. And they said, they spoke against God and they said, can God spread a table in the wilderness? Could God really come through in the middle of nowhere? And they kind of put this challenge out to God. Verse 20, it says that he struck the rock so that the water gushed out and the streams overflowed. Can he also give bread or provide meat for his people? Oh, guys, God really does satisfy. Here's something really important about communion. This piece of bread, this grape juice in a cup, this symbolizes Jesus saying, I am enough. I heard this song a little bit ago, and it, and it really wrecked me. It really hit my heart. This gal named Andre Assad wrote this, this song, and it's called, I Shall Not Want. From the love of my own comfort, from the fear of having nothing, from a life of worldly passions, deliver me, O God. From the need to be understood, from the need to be accepted, from the fear of being lonely, deliver me, O God. From the fear of serving others, 
from the fear of death or trial, from the fear of humility, deliver me, O God. And then here's the chorus. And I shall not want, no, I shall not want. When I taste your goodness, I shall not want. Igor and I were talking earlier, and it just made me kind of think about this whole thing because we can live a life where we try to take care of our needs, or we can live a life and say, God, I trust that you will take care of my needs. The Israelites were in the middle of the desert, and they said, can God prepare a table here? Could he actually meet my needs here? And in their answer in their heart, they're like, nope, I got to take care of myself. And God was standing there in that moment. He's just like, would you just trust me? Would you just trust me? Would you stop in your heart of going, I have to take care of me. I have to take care of this. Just stop. And in communion, we're basically saying, God, I trust that you will feed me, provide for me, bring me the friendship I need, bring me the joy I need, take me into the spots I need to be in, provide financially for me. God really is your provision. Anybody? Do we believe that? Do we believe that his leadership is better than our own leadership? Do we? We question it. But I have found every time that I trusted in him, he's always come through. My parents, this is before I was an idea in my parents' head. We're living up in Edmonton, Alberta. It was the middle of December, and they felt like God told them that they were supposed to move to Portland to go pastor of church. Two problems. They have a house they'd own in Edmonton, Alberta. It's December, and my dad is a German without American citizenship. Kind of a problem. They go to a real estate agent and they say, hey, uh, we feel like we're supposed to sell our house. And the real estate agent says, you do realize it's Edmonton in December. Nobody buys homes in Edmonton in December. And they said, well, we're just doing what God told us to do. They put it on the market. And I think somewhere around the end of the year, probably like the 28th, the 30th, the house actually sells. And the real estate agent is shocked. Sell the house. They still have another problem. My dad doesn't have access to get into the city, into the country yet. So they're packing boxes. They're putting things together. And get this. The day they packed up the truck, they opened the mailbox, and there's my dad's visa to get into the U.S. God is the God of right on time. But he's watching you. He's watching me and saying, are you going to try to provide your own needs? Or are you going to trust that I will? And sometimes it can sure seem like he comes late, but he's right on time. Can I get an amen? God, grow that in our hearts. Amen. Another past part, this, this was an interesting one. Matthew 15, another story of a table. Jesus is talking to this non-Jewish woman. And I used to really be offended by this passage, and then I started to understand what it was really saying. Matthew 15, this non-Jewish woman keeps coming up to Jesus because her daughter is tormented by a demon. You ever been tormented by a demon? You probably struggle sleeping. You probably have a lot of stress. There's a lot of what, stuff going on in your life. I'm not saying if you can't sleep, you have a demon. I'm just saying there's a lot of torment for those that have demons. And she's crying out to Jesus, and Jesus is ignoring her. She kept saying to Jesus, have mercy on me. Please heal my daughter. Free her from this demon. Help. 
And Jesus kind of quietly says to his disciples, I was sent to Israel, not to the non-Jews. She ran over to him, knelt on the ground in front of him and said, Lord, help me. And you know what Jesus says? It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. How's that for an insult? Now, I used to read that and think, man, Jesus is a jerk. He calls somebody a dog. But if you understand what was he was actually saying, a dog in that context, in that culture, was someone that did not value but sneered at sacred things. What he was basically saying was this. He wasn't calling her a dog, per se. He was calling her, it is not right to give to the children's bread those to, to those that are sneering at and not valuing the things of God. It's not right. And she replied with this amazing statement. She says, True, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Here's how good God is. Even those that sneer at him, say he's not real, say that he doesn't do the miraculous, say that he is not a present God, say that he's a bad God, say that he's evil, whatever, all of that stuff, even those that come near to the table, crumbs can fall off and they can taste of the goodness of God. That's how good our God is. He says to the woman, she's like, wow, woman of great faith. You're going to get what you prayed for. You think that you might have a friend or someone far from God? If they could just get near him, even the crumbs from God's table will touch their heart. Jesus is inviting us to the table. And hey, Nick, can I have the iPad? That'd be awesome. Um, Jesus is inviting us to the table. And at the Last Supper, when Jesus was with his disciples, uh, he made a point. He, um, he was basically trying to tell us that, that everything that happened in the Old Testament was a foreshadow of him. On the Passover, like I said earlier, they would slay a lamb. They would put the blood on the side posts and on the top of the door so that it would cover the sides. And this represented Jesus, his blood that would cover us. Death would pass over us. And if the angel of death can't pass Jesus' bloodline, neither can Satan. I also like that it says this. It's interesting. In Exodus 12, 10, it says this about the Passover meal. Make sure to eat all of the lamb. So they're having this meal, and they say, you got to eat all the lamb. Why is that? Well, it's interesting. In the Bible, it says the word Savior 33 times, and it calls God Lord over 400 times. When God comes to your life, he doesn't say you can just have a part of me. He says have all of me. That means that he gets my finances, my relationships, my sexuality, my dreams, my habits, my hopes, my fears, my vacations, my work, all that I am. He gets it all. A gal named Jackie Hill Perry. Meet Gal. She was in a former, she was in a, in a lesbian lifestyle, and then God called her out of it and showed her, showed her him and all this stuff. And she was talking to a gal that was living in a lesbian lifestyle. And she's like, what is it with you Christians and your God? And why does God need to have everybody be straight? She said this really cool thing. She's like, God doesn't need everybody to be straight. 
He's calling everybody to be holy. It is so much more than my sexuality and my preferences. God is saying, you don't belong to you anymore. I'm not mine anymore. This is so much bigger than just my attractions and my spending of money. It's the whole thing. To live is Christ. To die is gain. It's not Jeremy Schwader anymore. It is Christ in me. He's my life. I follow him. So when I take communion and I eat of the bread, I'm saying, Jesus, be formed in me. You're the leader. You're calling to me to be holy. And he said, yeah, that's right. Follow. Exodus 12, 8 says this too. You got the bread, you got the wine, and you got the lamb, and you got the bitter herbs. Anybody have some bitter herbs in your life? This represented the tears of bondage that Israel had for 400 years. What I love about the fact is that they were in this meal of remembrance. They would have the bread, they would have the wine, eat all of the lamb, and they'd have the bitter herbs. But what I love is that the bitter herbs were a side dish. Bitterness is not the main course. The struggle you're walking through, the, the, the hardship, the brokenness, the health issue, the whatever, yeah, there's bitter herbs. We're going to have bitter herbs. There's going to be tears. There's going to be struggle. But the lamb is the main course. And whatever I feast on is what I'm going to be filled with. We need to make sure that the bitterness and the tears is the side course. We have to turn our main feasting and attention back to the lamb, Jesus. That's what I'm going to feast on. In the midst of everything going on, he is the main course. Exodus 12, 14 also says that this is meant to be a meal that they continually had. Jesus said this too. She said, whenever you do this meal in remembrance of me, do this. And, and, and then he, yeah, he said that in Luke 22, 19. In other words, keep having this meal. Keep remembering what I've done. Keep at it. Keep coming. Matthew 26, 18 says this. Jesus was going into, into the Old Testament. He was going into the city. They were about to prepare for this meal. He says to two of his disciples, he said, look, go into the town. There's going to be a guy with a jar on his head. Go to him and say, the master's coming to your house. Have everything ready for the Passover. They go, see the guy, and he's like, okay, I'll go get the room ready. And, and what I love about the Passover meal is that Jesus went to a house. He's coming to your house. He's coming to my house. Get this. His healing comes to your house. His lordship comes to your house. He comes to you and he says, would you eat of me? Would you taste of me in your home? He is the good shepherd. Psalms 23. He restores our soul in your home. He leads you in paths of righteousness in your home. When we take communion, it's not just a thing we do here. It's into my life, into my very being. It's in my fingers, in my hands, in my work, in my family. He wants to permeate everything. He's coming to your house. Matthew 26, I think, we, I, think I did give you those verses. Jesus said this, they're at the supper in that house, this upper room. 
By the way, this is called an upper room, so that's kind of fun. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread. And after blessing it, he broke it. And he gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And he said, he gave thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink all of it, drink of it, all of you. For this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I enter it, I drink it new with you, new in my father's kingdom. Come back to you guys in a sec. I don't think they had any idea what was happening in that moment. In this moment, Jesus was basically saying, I want you to physically take me in. That Jesus would be in you on the inside. I, I really appreciate... Um, the reality of the fact that when I lead my own life and I try to work for God or do something or live a life that I would love to have, I recognize that I will falter and I will fall. But Jesus comes to us. He breaks of himself and he says, Jeremy, I want to live on the inside of you. I want to be your strength. I want to be your transformation. Take and eat. Take and drink. Let me be formed in you. This whole thing of communion is this physical act, super simple, basically saying, God, be on the inside of me. I'm going to pass this around to you guys. It's hard preaching and passing buckets at the same time. No, I kind of wanted to do it. I was all excited to do this and give it to everybody. I think one thing that's interesting in this passage is that in the, in the Passover, what's mentioned is bread. You got one. Bread and wine. Where's the lamb? It's the main course. I can tell you where the lamb is. He's at the table. The lamb is sitting there at the table. We're almost out of communion cups here. I'm going to give you one. Hey, Lucas, can you, there's a box under there of communion cups. Can you grab that for me? I'm all out. It's okay. I got it, lovey. He's at the table. Jesus the Passover lamb is at the table. He is the main course, breaking the bread, passing out the wine. He's saying, it's me. I'm at the table. And whenever we take communion, he's at the table. He's on the table. He's at the table. Now, our Catholic friends would say that this is the actual physical body and blood of Jesus. And we would say that this is a symbol this is a symbolic thing. But I would say that there is something supernaturally happening in this space where God is present 
in the communion meal. And he is present to come to you and also be with you in this moment. Whenever we approach the table, we got to approach it that he's at the table. He's here and he's giving us himself. In these symbols, by faith, he's saying, I want to be in you, my body for your body, my blood for your blood, forming in you, impacting your thoughts, your emotions, your desires. Exodus 12 also said this, Passover was meant to be the beginning of a new year. Oh, everybody else has got some, so you're okay. In other words, in communion, it's all brand new. Hey, did you falter yesterday? Can I say this to you? Jesus says, eat of me. Drink of me. I make you brand new. Stop living in the place of the shame and the failure of yesterday. Forget it. It's over. Step in. He has communion for you now. He makes it all brand new right now. He said this, whenever you do this, do this in what? Remembrance of me. What is remembrance? Memories. To recall. What has he done? He's forgiven you. He cleanses you. He has healing for you. He has restoration for you. But also specifically, what do you remember? What do you remember of the, sp the spaces where God met you and he spoke to you and he did things in your life? Remember, don't forget. We forget really easily, don't we? Remember who God is. Remember what he's done. We're going to take communion together. Jesus said this in verse 29. I said, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Revelation 19, 6 and 7 says this. Then I heard what seemed to be the sound of a great multitude. That's you. That's me. Like the roar of many waters. You ever been in a crowd where it was this roar? And like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, they cried out out. Think of the loudness and the passion in their voice. That's you. That's me. We're going to be there that day proclaiming this. Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and extol and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints he's coming back we do this meal in remembrance but folks we do this meal with the heart posture of he's coming someday soon he's coming and he's coming for a church that's ready dressed in in white. What's the white? That's all the deeds that we've done. That's all the spaces that my heart has been in. That's the places of purity that I've treasured in my heart. That's how I've walked in generosity, not in greed. That's the spaces of love that I've poured out. And can I say this to you? It's time that we must be ready. He's coming back for a pure and spotless church that's been washed in his blood. Now you look at yourself and you're like, I ain't ready. It's time. 
And like Igor said, he helps us. Are you ready? If your answer is no, sounds like you need communion this morning. You need his body in you, him formed in you, touching your thoughts, touching your mind, touching your heart. You need his blood poured into your veins that you would be washed from all of the shame and all of the guilt and all of the selfishnesses and pride. He promises supernaturally to meet us as we say, Lord, I take you as he gives him of us of himself. He's coming back. He's coming back for a church that's made herself ready. Stripping off the clothes of pride and pleasure and putting on humility and worship and serving where we simply cry, it's not about me anymore. It's all about him. It's time that we remember what he's done, the cost and his glory. He's going to judge the living and the dead. And the question that he's going to have for you and for me is, do you know him? Do you know him? Let's just all open up our communion. Jesus, on the night that he betrayed, he took bread. Take that piece of bread. And it said that he broke it. Put it in between your fingers and just break it. Take and eat. This is my body broken for you. Why was it broken? So that you might be healed. Anybody need healing? I know we got people watching online. You need healing physically in your body. You need mental healing. You need your heart healed. He is a God who heals. Do you believe it? Anybody? Say yes. Take, eat. This is my body broken for you. Guess what? He gave this bread to Judas. He gave this bread to Peter. Two men that would betray him and fall away that very night. He took this bread, looked in the eyes of his friend who was about to go out and, and, to, and betray him. And he said, here, my body broken for you, Judas. Anyone ever been betrayed? God knows what it is to be betrayed. And he laid his life down for those that would betray him. Peter, on the night that he betrayed Jesus, said the, crowd, the, the cock crowed three times. And it said in that moment, because he, he denied Jesus three times, Jesus had said in the courtyard, turned and looked at Peter. Can you imagine that look? Jesus, I failed you. And Jesus is looking in Peter's eyes. And he's like, Peter, I know. But I broke my body for you. Judas turned inward and he committed suicide. Peter turned to God and he was restored. What are you going to do after you fall? Are you going to turn inward and turn to your own ways and say, I'm just going to isolate? Or are you going to turn to God and say, God, help, have mercy on me? That's the difference. That's who receives mercy. Those that turn and say, help. Those that turn inward suffer alone. This is his body broken for you broken for me. It's in this moment that we have to come and it says this in Corinthians, it says that we must judge rightly the body. That means two things. One, we come to this moment with respect and honor. Jesus did not do a light thing 
a simple thing. We do not do this casually. He gave his precious blood and body for you. How dare we treat this lightly? How dare we? And secondly, we treat, we judge the bodily, the body rightly. His body was broken for us. How dare we have offense and bitterness in our hearts and accusation in our hearts towards each other. God is saying, would you live as I lived? Would you give forgiveness as freely as I gave it? This is what it means when we do this. We recognize the holiness of this and we recognize I got I to gotta forgive and lay down a fence just like him. So with all that in mind, Jesus, we recognize. Can we just lift it up? Jesus, we recognize your body broken for us for our physical healing. We recognize the holiness of your body and what you've done. We recognize, God, that forgiveness is a part of what it means to be a part of you. And so, God, we bless, we forgive, we release those that have wronged us. And we say, God, have your way in their life. And we eat this saying, Jesus, would you be formed on the inside of me? Would you, your life, take over in me? Let's eat this together. First Peter 5, by his stripes we were healed. First John 5, 14 says this, and this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his, heart, to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we asked of him. The reason why we say these things out loud and we declare them is that it's his will. And God said, ask. You need cleansing from sin? Ask. You need God to work in your family? Ask. Let's take the, the cup, the juice, and open it. In his body, we find his, our healing, and in his blood, we find our cleansing. And when I take communion, I like to speak out loud. I put my confidence in him. And I like to say this, Jesus, thank you for setting me free. Can we just say that out loud? Thank you for setting me free. No, I'm serious. He sets you free. He really does. And another thing that's fun to say in this too is, God, thank you for setting them free. And when I say them, I'm talking about family, and I'm talking about friends, and I'm talking about those that are far from him. He desires that nobody perishes. No one fades away. So in this moment, and this is partly why the music's on, can we just say this together? Jesus, thank you for setting me free. Let's just say that. Jesus, thank you for setting me free. God, thank you for setting us free. And if there's spaces where you need freedom in God's life, could you just lift up a hand? And this is like just being good and humble. Um, God, I thank you for setting us free from hidden addictions, God. Spaces, God, of whether that's uh, bulimia or pornography, God, whether that's spaces of self-anger and hatred, God, whether that's spaces where we go back to things time and time again, God, I thank you that there is power present today because you're here to set us free. God, I thank you for setting us free from shame this morning. God, all the spaces where we failed and we knew it, I thank you that in your blood you cleanse us from all the stuff. Thank you. 
Jesus, thank you for setting us free. Can we just say that together? Jesus, thank you for setting us free. God, we thank you for the blood of Jesus that cleanses us right now. And someday, we're going to sit at a big table. I think it's going to be a real big table. And Jesus is going to be at the head of the table. This is going to happen real. He's going to lift the cup. And we're all going to shout out hallelujah for the Lord our God the Almighty reigns. He overcame it all. Whatever you're struggling with, He overcame it all. He really did. And we're going to drink this cup right now in by faith saying, Jesus, I thank you that you cleanse me of all my sin. I thank you that you've adopted me into your family. And I thank you that today you make all things new in me. And this is a faith step, you guys. And it's also saying, Jesus, be the leader of my life. Be the cleanser of my heart. Be the savior of my world. Let's just lift that up. Let's drink the cup together. When you have a meal later today, you're going to sit down and you're going to eat pizza or burgers, stroganoff or Russian dumplings. I don't know what you're going to eat for lunch or dinner. But I want you to remember that you're sitting at a table. And it's not your table anymore. It's God's table. And he would say to you, would you remember what I've done? my body broken for you, my blood poured out for you. And would you share the testimonies? This is what God's done in my life. Would you remember? And then would you pray together and say, God, would you be the leader of our family and our home? I really believe communion wasn't meant to be just a thing we do once in a while on a Sunday, but this is to be incorporated into our life. In the midst of the bitter herbs that you're eating, that you turn around and you say, I'm going to eat the lamb, the whole thing. I need a lot of Jesus today. Would your blood wash me? Would your body heal me? Everyone just put a hand on your heart. Is Jesus the Lord of your life today? You don't get his blessing without his lordship. Doesn't happen. All you're going to do if you sit on the fence is soar. He's wanting all of you. And he says, would you eat of me? Would you drink of me? If you're in a space today where you're saying, I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life today. I'm asking, would you raise your hand? Let's all pray this together. Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. Let's do that a little louder. We can all hear ourselves. Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. That you cleanse me from all my sin. That you heal me from all my sickness. Jesus, be the Savior in my life. 
Here's the big one. Jesus, be the Lord. A little louder. Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Holy Spirit, fill me. Teach me. Lead me. God, I pray that in this space, you would find a people dressed in white, ready to be led by you. Not my way anymore. Yours. And if that's your heart, say amen. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, and you're in a space where um, you're like, okay, I need to put some action to this. Here's what I want you to say that needs to happen. One, you need to feast on Jesus every day. You know what that means? You read the Bible. It means you're crying out to him. Two, you need to attend church. Don't want to don't want to come to this church. I got 20,000 other great churches I'd love to send you to. Three, you need to ask God to flood you with his Holy Spirit. He needs to lead you because there's spaces you need to be led out of into his presence. And four, find this place to serve. I would tell you, get into church, serve your guts out. Let's say, God, lead me in every way. Hey, let's all stand on up. If that was you, I'd love to talk with you after the service. We're going to read our benediction today, and then afterwards we're going to go downstairs and see uh, Igor baptized. Or you baptized. If you uh, made that dedication to Christ today, I'd love to baptize you. All right, let's all read this over together. Ready? Make it a prayer. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer.